Can we just say thank you to the Lord? Can, and just in our own way, just thank God. You know, there is something that was said a little bit earlier, talking about there's a gift in worship. And I thought about this when, um, you know, I can remember after we had been away for several months as a church, from being able to gather together and we had um, streaming services. How many of you guys have streamed services over the last year? You guys have done that? So we were streaming services, and I remember what it felt like the next time that we were back together worshiping God. And I thought to myself, how would we have worshiped the Sunday before COVID hit our land if we knew this was going to be the last time that we had a chance to worship together? And that just really just made me appreciate the gift that we have here. And so can we just thank God again for the opportunity to come together to pray and to worship? May we never take moments like this for granted. First of all, I just want to say this. It is an honor to be here. I want to bring greetings to you from Cincinnati, Ohio. Anybody from Cincinnati here? Okay. No? All right. So, um, you know, we, um, we, we, we brought a crew of people down here. We're excited about what God is doing, uh, not just in Cincinnati, but in this region. And we're grateful for all of that. I'm grateful for Asbury Theological Seminary because being back here feels like I'm home. I can't tell you how many times I've worked out right there behind me and spent time in that library. So I have to say that God has blessed me so much through this institution. I'm grateful for this team, for Reverend Legrone. By the way, she had a chance to preach at our church months ago, and people are still talking about that sermon here today. So we are uh, blessed uh, to be able to be here. Um, I, I do want to say this. This is a special weekend for myself and for our church there in Cincinnati because this is a time where we are celebrating our eight-year anniversary as a church. We moved from Orlando to Cincinnati. We wanted better weather. And um, we moved there because we just said we felt God was calling us there, not knowing a lot of people there, um, not growing up there, but God really blessed us over the last several years. And so we get a chance to celebrate. In fact, we're getting ready to plant a church in Lexington um, next month, which we're really excited about. But whenever we get to a point, for me, whenever I have milestones like this, what it causes me to do, it causes me to reflect on the journey. I don't know about you, but I like having moments where we can pause and think about the journey of what it has been and how God has shown himself faithful over the years. And so, you know, I can remember going back to 2002 when I first felt God calling me into vocational ministry. And we know that we're all called to ministry the moment we say yes to Jesus. But this was a time in my life where I felt like God was really moving and prompting in my heart to step into vocational ministry. And I felt a, a sense of excitement, felt a little bit of nervousness. Perhaps some of the first year seminary students can relate to that feeling. Um, feeling a little bit intimidated as well. But at the same time, feeling like this was a great opportunity. And I, I, I wrote a poem called The Greatest Job on Earth. And I want to just read it to you, if that's okay. Can I read that to you? All right. So half the room said yes. The other half just bear with me. I did not claim to be a poet, but this was something that was near and dear to me. So I just want to just quote to you just a little bit from this poem that I wrote during that season of my life. It's called The Greatest Job on Earth. It goes, there is no privilege greater than to give my life to serve as one of Christ's ambassadors an honor undeserved. My only qualification is total surrender to Christ 
And as a Christian, I've been commissioned. His purpose is my life. I cannot take this lightly. The burden's much too great. For it's well known that flesh alone cannot carry the weight. So I'm desperate all the more for God to change my ways. Because yesterday's sin can't follow me in the promise I'm living today. The greatest tragedy for me in the future is to find when greatness passed, I feared the task and comfort still confined. So whatever inconvenience greets me on destiny's turf, I receive with joy because I'm employed with the greatest job on earth. My CD will be coming out. No, I'm just... now, now that's, that's a little bit of my story, but I want you to take a moment and go back to that place in your own life where you sensed that God was calling you to do something for him. It may not have been this big lightning bolt moment. It might have been subtle. But if you can go back to a season of your life where you felt God prompting you to do something, maybe the fact that you're here in seminary was a, a, a sense of you being responsive to God inviting you on a journey. Maybe you can think back in terms of an area where you have served, maybe a, a, a place in your community. Maybe you've been in the mission field for a season of time. Maybe you're even faculty here, and you can think back to when God started prompting on your heart to say, you know what, I think he wants me to do this. What did you think during that time? What was going through your mind? How, how, how was that for you? I don't know about you, but one of the things that I can say about the whole journey that I've been on, and hopefully there's a lot more years to go on this journey, is that it has been a journey of grace. And one of the things that I love about the theme that we're in this year is called life of servanthood. And let me just say this about a life of servanthood. A life of servanthood is a life overflowing with the grace of God. I'll say that again. A life of servanthood is a life that is overflowing with the grace of God. Because as we grow in our revelation of God's grace, we will grow in our motivation to serve. And so I want to look at a passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Perhaps you wouldn't think about this as a passage that someone would look at if they're talking about serving. But I think we're going to find that it really relates to us here today. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look in verses 3 through 10 as we begin here. This is Paul speaking. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I'm the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. I love that here in verse 10. It says this, but by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. A life of servanthood is a life overflowing with the grace of God. I'm going to entitle this message today, It Starts With Grace. Can we all say that together? It starts with grace. If we're going to be people who are living a life of service, we need God to open up our eyes to the grace that he has shown us in our lives. It starts with grace. Let, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the time that we have had even up to this point. Lord, we've had opportunities to, 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 to be together, to be encouraged, to eat food, to be able to sing worship to you together, Lord. We are grateful for that. And Lord, as we continue with the same attitude of worship, I am asking that as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes in a fresh way to the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because this is a passage that really speaks of the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love preaching on this passage. I love uh, meditating on this passage because it helps us to understand the very foundation by which our faith is built as believers. And what Paul is saying here in verse 3, he's saying, listen, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul didn't invent Christianity. He was passing on the faithful tradition, that which was of first importance. When it talks about it being first importance, it's talking about this is a priority. We've got to get this right. You know, I think about when you're looking in the beginning of the school year and you look in your syllabus and you look at different assignments and things that you have going on, there are times where you look and you say, I might not get all these things right, but i got to get this right or else I'm going to, I'm going to fail the class. When we think about our Christian faith, we might have differences of, certain, of opinion and how we interpret and exegete particular passages, but there's some things that we got to get right. And what Paul does here in verses 3 and 4, he talks about some of these things. He says that Christ died according to Scripture, and he was buried, and he was raised back to life. Now, this is important for us to understand, but he doesn't just tell us what to believe. He goes on and he begins to uh, mention why we are to believe this. It says, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to Cephas or to Peter, then to the 12, and then to over 500 people at a time. That's pretty powerful evidence, isn't it? Aren't you glad that we do not serve a God where we say once upon a time in a land far, far away? that this is rooted in truth, and it's important that we understand that because you will never sell out for a gospel that you're not convinced of. And so what we see here is that Paul is letting them know, and then he goes a little bit further, and he says, and then Jesus appeared to James, his brother, and then the rest of the apostles, and then to one untimely born, even to me. And he goes on, and he says this in verse 9. Here's what he says in verse 9. Verse 9 he says this, he says, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, this would seem like Paul is being really hard on himself, right? Come on, Paul, you're not that bad. Come on, it's okay, Paul, you weren't that bad. No, Paul is not having false humility here. He was pretty bad. He persecuted the church and he understood that. 
See, here's the thing that we understand about the goodness of God and the gospel. The gospel doesn't minimize sin. It just maximizes his grace. And we look here and we see that God's grace is there and he's, he's letting them know, I'm not even fit to be an apostle. Some of you can relate to verse 9 a lot more than we care to admit. I know there might be some of us here that are saying, I'm here because I'm smart, because I worked really hard and I made all the right decisions in life. And if that is you, God bless you. But there are some of us that can relate to verse 9 and say, you know what? I don't think that I'm even fit to be a student here. Because there's people who know more than I do. There are people who've been through better things than I've been through. They, they, they went to a, a, a bigger uh, church or from a bigger city, or maybe they haven't been through some of the things in the past that I've been through. Some of us have a history in our lives that we would say, I would rather not share that with anybody else. And so we come into an environment, and on the surface, we have our mask on. And we look like everything's good, but underneath, we're resonating with those words, I don't even think I'm fit to be here. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but perhaps some of the people who've been on faculty at times have felt at times, you know what, I don't even know if I'm fit to do this. Can I say as a pastor there's times that that has crossed my mind? Don't tell anybody. We'll just keep that between us. But sometimes we can have that mentality, God, I am not even fit to do that. But thank God that there's a verse 10. Because in verse 10, here's what he said. He says, but by the grace of God. I am what I am. I might not be where I deserve to be, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. When we think about this idea of grace, God giving us the gift that we do not deserve. I love the acronym for grace. God's riches, this fly won't leave me alone. God's riches at Christ's expense. God has given us grace, and it is by this grace that he is confident now to say, I am what I am. But he doesn't stop there. He goes a little bit further here in verse 10. And he said, and his grace did not prove vain. His grace did not prove vain. In other words, don't waste the grace. And he goes on and he says this. He says, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Almost like he caught himself a little bit, right? I labored more than all of them, but, but not me. It's the grace of God in me. You know, there was a, um, a, a big deal on Facebook a while back, and it was called um, the 10-year the challenge. Any of you guys remember that? Okay, you guys were in your book studying, probably reading commentaries, so you weren't on social media. But let me just tell you, here's how it went. There was a 10-year challenge. And what they would do is they would post a picture of, of what they looked like 10 years ago, and then they would post a picture that was recent of what they look like now. Now, sometimes people would lie to people and say, you look, you look the same. I was like, no, you don't. Age gets all of us, right? But, but it's the whole idea of comparing, this is what I used to look like, this is what I look like now. I wonder what it would be like if we had an opportunity to have like a spiritual 10-year challenge where we were able to look at our lives of what we used to be and we are able to say, I, I thank God, I may not be what I want to be, but I am thankful that I'm not what I used to be because of the grace of God in my life. And that grace did not prove vain. I did not waste that grace, but now I labor. See, Paul gave his life to service to God 
because he had a revelation of God's grace. Because the more we have a revelation of God's grace, the more we have motivation to serve. Because a life of servanthood is a life overflowing with the grace of God. So how do we know when we can see that we've grown in our revelation of that grace for us to be people who are living lives of servanthood? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Because here's one of the things that is birth that's produced from a life of grace is humility. You know, Paul said this. He said, I am the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all the apostles. How could he say that? Because he understood who he was without Jesus. Do you know who you are without Jesus? There was a T-shirt that people used to wear years back, and um, it was a little bit more crass than this, but it would say, without Jesus, I suck. Now, I wouldn't say it in that kind of a way, but I don't know if it's theologically incorrect. Because it's an understanding that who am I without Jesus? It wasn't like we had it going on, and then Jesus was like that extra cherry on top to make our lives a little bit better. It's an understanding that Paul knew. He was like, listen, I don't deserve this, and it caused him to have humility. What can easily happen to many of us is as we go through life, we begin to think that it's our strength, our work, our intelligence that's keeping us afloat. You know, I got a, a funny story with my oldest son, who's now a high school student, but I can remember when he was younger, we used to live in Florida, and there's a lot of water in Florida, so you got to learn how to swim if you live in Florida for a long time. And, and he used to love jumping in the pool. The problem is he hated putting a vest on. So every time we would get near some water, we would try to put a vest on him, and we had a fight. Put the vest on. I don't want to. Put the vest on. I don't want to. He would squirm. He would fight. I would have to literally wrestle him, headlock him just to put the vest on. And then finally, it was just one of those days that I just didn't feel like fighting. Some of you parents in there, you, you know those days where it's just like, you know what? You don't want to wear a vest? Okay. So I did what any good father would do in this moment. I let him jump in. Now, for those who are a little bit worried, uh, I was close by, but I didn't step in right away. I, I, I let him just kind of squirm and fight it out for a little bit. So he's just fighting and flailing. His, his eyes are getting really wide. And then I just waited just like three I pulled him up out of that water. Son, are you ready to put a vest on now? I had no fight with him after that. You know what the crazy thing is? In his mind, he thought that it was him and all of his effort that was keeping him up. I want to let you know that it is the grace of God that has been keeping you. I know sometimes we can get to a point in life where we think that it's us working hard and doing all these things that keep us up, but I want you to understand that if God's grace didn't keep you, then you would not have been kept. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And when you understand this, it produces a humility in you, which means that now I don't think too highly of myself. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing. And when you become humble before God, it's amazing how you become humble before your brothers and sisters as well. You know, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter was exhorting all the elders, and then he starts exhorting the younger men. But then he says something to everybody in verse 5. He says, but all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. 
See, we can't be humble before God and prideful before our brothers and sisters. Somebody could have said amen, but um, you, you, you can't be humble before God and arrogant before others. And so we humble ourselves before our brothers and sisters, clothe yourselves with humility. And then he says this at the end of that verse. He says, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love this because it lets us know that the humility draws the grace of God in our lives. And when we understand the grace of God in our lives, then it should produce the humility that we're called to walk in. And when we walk in pride, we cut off the supply line of grace to our lives. And so one of the ways that we are living in the revelation of God's grace is that we humble ourselves. Somebody say, stay humble. But here's the second thing it'll produce. It'll produce gratitude. It'll produce gratitude in our lives when we understand God's grace because we're so thankful for what God has done. When you think about your testimony, think about what it is that God saved you from. Some of you might say, well, I didn't grow up doing a whole lot of bad things, but I want to let you know, whether you grew up selling Girl Scout cookies or whether you grew up selling drugs, all of us need a grace. And God's grace has caused us to, to be changed. And so what that should produce in us is a sense of gratitude. Lord, I am thankful. I'm grateful for all that you've done. And when you get that, you move from a place of have to to get to. You know how it is, right? Ugh, I have to write this paper. I have to go and study. I have to go and, and, and clean up at the church. I have to go into this neighborhood. But when you understand what it is that God has done for your life, what do you want me to do, God? Yes, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Why is that? Because you understand, God, you did for me that which I don't deserve. You know, some of you are going to be learning how to preach. You're taking um, homiletics courses and learning all the things. But you know who you really need to learn how to preach to? Yourself. Sometimes you got to learn how to preach your own testimony to you. Sometimes you have to remind yourself, you know what, what God did. Remember you were praying, God, help me get through this situation, and God gave you peace in the middle of the storm. And you got to preach to yourself, God. You, I, I remember, Brian, when, when, when you were living in compromise and your conscience was, was so damaged because of the past, and God said, you can be free from that. And I was just grateful, God. You mean I get to be free and raise my hands without condemnation? Thank you, God. Sometimes we need to just stand and preach to ourselves what God has done in our own lives. Because the grace of God lets us know that we ought to have some gratitude in our lives. So we have gratitude, we have humility, but here's the third thing that will produce. It will produce a life of service. Look here in verse 10. It says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Not I, but it's the grace of God with me that allowed me to labor. Sometimes we can think of grace and works as not being able to dwell together, right? Well, I'm not a person of works. It's all about grace. But it is the grace of God that gives us the ability and the reason for working in the first place. We go to Ephesians chapter 2, and here's what, here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says this. Oh, bookmark. He says this. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, um, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So hold up, what is it? Is it grace or is it works? We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. And when we understand this grace, what it should produce in us is a desire to say, God, I wanna be used by you to do something great. God, I wanna serve whoever, whenever, however you choose because I understand the grace of God and I don't want this grace to be wasted. God, I wanna use this grace to go serve somebody. I'm not mistaken, it is not my works, it is not my serving that, ple- that, that, that causes me to be justified before God, but God, because of your grace, I get to serve. I go from a have-to mentality to a get-to mentality. And now I look for opportunities. I live life with my eyes wide open, saying, God, where can I be used? How can I be used for your glory? It starts with grace. I love when we look throughout the rest of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, he begins to talk about how important and how significant the resurrection really is. He goes as far as to say in verses 13 and 14, if, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then my preaching is vain. Let me, let, you say, let me just say this, all the serving in the world that you could possibly do is in vain if Jesus Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. We might do some good things, but it's all in vain. But he has been raised from the dead. And because he has been raised from the dead, it means that our lives and our service has significance. Which is why in verse 58 he says this, therefore beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your toil, your work is not in vain. So now, Because of the grace of God, we are able to do work that matters. We are able to live lives of significance because we understand that by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I want to pray for us here today. I want to pray that we would be wowed afresh by the grace of God. I know some of you have done some great things in ministry. Some of you have learned a lot over the years. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. But I just want us to just take a moment and go back to those places where God's grace was made evident in your life and allow that to be the very foundation for why you live a life of servanthood. A life of servanthood is a life overflowing with the grace of God. Heavenly Father, I am asking that even in this moment, that God, that we would be amazed afresh by your grace. Lord, I thank you, God, that you've called us to lives of service. Lord, there are people there that you've called us to reach. There's good works that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in. But God, the reason why we're able to do it is because the grace that you've shown to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived the life that we were supposed to live. You died the death that we were supposed to die in our place. And three days later, you rose again from the dead, proving that you truly are the Son of God. And now you offer salvation and forgiveness of sins. You offer hope 
to those who repent and turn towards you in faith. So open our eyes today to your grace. Lord, where we've taken for granted the opportunities that you've given us, Lord, we repent. Where we have lived in a have-to mentality rather than a get-to mentality, Lord, we repent. We have found ourselves thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, God. For that, we repent. Open our eyes to your grace in a fresh way, God, so that from that place, we might serve your people and serve your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.